And now if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms and Psalm 11. This is the uh, Psalm of the Month uh, that I've chosen. And as uh, our family will be on vacation next week, I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about this psalm and also to meditate on its helpfulness as uh, guidance for us, even as we think about the um, presbytery meeting that we just had. So I think it'll be helpful. So uh, listen now to God's word, Psalm 11. Uh, This does have a title to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. This is God's word. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Amen. This is the word of God. May God bless it to us as we consider it together this evening. Well, a friend of mine recently recommended a book uh, on anxiety to me, and I've been reading that little book by Ed Welch, and um, it's interesting because one of the things that um, uh, Dr. Welch encourages as an antidote to anxiety is a close relationship, communion, and trust with God. That is the most powerful thing that we can have in our lives to deal with anxiety. Uh, One of the challenges, of course, is that uh, it's much easier to say, uh, I trust the Lord at all times than it is to actually trust the Lord at all times. I was thinking as I titled this sermon, you know, on all of our money, it says in God we trust. How many uh, of us actually do that? How many of us actually trust in God at all times? Uh, we realize it's difficult because uh, we live in a world where uh, we're constantly bombarded by things that uh, shake our trust. Uh, One of the challenges in trusting God is we can't see God. We can't hear God speaking to us audibly. We can see uh, all the threats and problems and challenges, and we can hear them, We're quite aware of uh, the challenges to our health, the the difficulties with our relationships and the other kinds of things that may cause us to worry. Uh, But sometimes it's hard for us to remember that God is there and that we need to trust him. And so as we look at this passage, thank you, Dr. Archer. You wonder what I was doing just now. Well, um, the... uh, the the message that I hope we will see is that Jesus Christ trusted God perfectly 
so that you and I are also able to trust God, even when it's difficult to do that. And uh, I think it'll, it'll be encouraging as we see how this comes out of this brief little psalm as we look at it together. And now children, if you'd like to draw a picture, I think I've asked you to draw a picture of a bird flying away. Uh, we think of that as a very beautiful thing. And you know that the birds are, you, you, if you try to walk close to the birds, they don't let you come close to them. They fly away. But uh, the psalmist is thinking here about why we don't have to be like birds who fly away when someone comes near them. So listen uh, to, uh, to the sermon and hear why we do not have to act like the birds. Well, the first thing I want us to notice as we look at the psalm is there are plenty of reasons to fear and worry. And we see this in the first couple of verses. You see that um, David says, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? So it appears here that people were saying that to him. They were saying to him, uh, you ought to you fly away. And uh, there's some argument amongst the commentators as to what's going on here. Is, is David quoting like a bully saying, hey, just, just run away, kid, before, uh, you know, run back home to your mommy before you get hurt. Is that the kind of uh, the, 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 the idea, the, the voice that he has in mind? Or is it more like a, a genuine friend saying, you're really in trouble, you should run away. And I, and I think that second way is probably a better way to understand this. These are people saying to him, you know, you're in danger. You should, you should run and find safety. And um, it, it, it's, it's quite striking. We don't know what the exact setting of the psalm is, but uh, many commentators think perhaps this has to do with David. He's being chased and hunted by the king, King Saul, and uh, David's running. Uh, and, and, and so he is literally being hunted down by a madman uh, when this is happening. Uh, either way, it does seem, if you look at verse 2, like there is a real th threat. It says, for look, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. So in those days, like if the arrow was on the string, that's like the, the bullet is in the chamber, you know, the hammer's about to fall, that, that, uh, that violence is imminent and that the, the person shooting is aiming at the heart. Like this isn't just a warning shot over the head. This is somebody with a real malice designed to take you out. And so that is the context for this, this temptation to run away and hide in fear. Uh, one of my graduate school classmates was um, what, what I would describe as a glass is half empty uh, kind of a guy. And so uh, we were all sitting around in the lab one time, and um, he was going on and on about how this, this professor had it in for him, and that professor had it in for him, and pretty soon it was like he felt like he, he thought the whole department had it in for him. And I think some of us were like, you know, you're, you're getting kind of carried away here. And then one of the guys says, hey, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people really aren't out to get you. Uh, that, you know, your paranoia doesn't mean they aren't actually out to get you. And we might think, well, maybe the psalm here is, is speaking from a point of paranoia, right? It's just, uh, everyone's out to get me. But that's not the issue. The issue here is that there really are threats. There are real threats. Now, you and I aren't facing armed men chasing us all over the countryside, but we recognize there really are threats to our peace 
and our sense of security. You know, am I able to pay my bills with the economy doing what it is? Am I going to ever be free of this chronic health problem? Am I ever going to find a spouse or am I ever going to find a job that I really like? How am I going to deal with growing older? Uh, is this spot on my arm cancerous? Uh, am I going to go into the hospital for a routine procedure and get infected with a flesh-eating bacteria that kills me within hours? That's actually what just happened to one of the deacons at the Emmanuel RP Church. So, so it's not like, I mean, some of us make up imaginary things to be worried about, yes, but there's plenty of real things to be worried about. Our, our world, in fact, is full of these things. And so we're reminded there are plenty of reasons to fear and worry. Secondly, sometimes this may lead us to even feel like we should just give up. So verse 3 is a quite a famous verse. If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? The, the implication here is nothing, right? If the foundations are gone, we can do nothing. Uh, I know I mentioned this before, but the, the area where our family has vacationed in Florida for, for decades uh, is a little barrier island, and the whole island was underwater in the, the recent hurricane. Um, the storm surge covered the whole island, and every property that they had properties that you know were older frame houses. They were all just lifted up and taken out to sea. Um, the bigger uh, high rises that were built more recently, uh, most of them, not all of them, most of them are standing. But now uh, civil engineers have to go and check every single one of them to figure out if the foundation is stable and can they fix it and go back into it. Or does it have to be torn down? And if the foundation is bad, the, the game is over. And the whole complex has to be torn down and removed. And David here is contemplating a situation in which the sitting king is hunting down and trying to kill his top general. I mean, David has been a loyal and faithful servant of the realm and the king, without any cause, is trying to kill him. And so partly this is, you know, if the king is going to lead the way in doing evil, what hope do we have? The foundations are destroyed. We might equally ask, if our president is going to lead the way in suggesting all kinds of courses of action that violate the Constitution, uh, or is going to do things that wreck the economy, is, or is going to do things that encourage evil, we might ask the same question. What are we to do if, if the foundations are destroyed? To be very frank with you, we have seen some incredibly difficult circumstances at our presbytery. And for those of you who are new, so in a Presbyterian church, the churches in a particular region uh, sort of oversee each other's work and they work together. And so that regional body is called the presbytery. And there's around 20 congregations in our presbytery. Uh, but what we've seen over the last several years are effective ministers leaving the pastorate, uh, some making terrible mistakes along the way, healthy churches being closed, a horrific 
case of child abuse, child-on-child abuse that affected many, many people. Uh, Lawsuits, publicity, uh, failure to extend grace and forgiveness, and all kinds of things. And, and, And honestly, it can be trying to say, well, if this is happening in the church, if this is happening amongst the ministers, Uh, This is like the foundations being destroyed. What should we do? It's enough to make a person say we should just quit and give up. And that's sort of what they were telling David. Fly away like a bird. Uh, Children, that's what that meant, that you should just fly away. You should run and hide. Um, And that's what people were saying uh, to David. And sometimes it is attempting to feel like we should just give up. But thirdly, we see here that instead of giving up, we need to turn our attention to the Lord. Verse 4 is the hinge. As is often the case, the significant point is put in the middle of Hebrew poetry. And this is the hinge where we're we're focusing on all the things that are wrong. And verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And, And that's a very helpful perspective, that we turn our attention away from the threats, the fears, the thought that we should give up. And we look to God and we see where God is. He's in his holy temple, God's special presence there where the people gathered to worship. But he's not confined to that temple in Jerusalem. He dwells, his his throne is in heaven and he's ruling over all things. And because he's ruling over all things, the second part of verse four says, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men, that the Lord actually can see these things happen. He can see the wicked terrorizing his people. He can see the struggles and the things that cause us to fear and worry. And verse five gives us a helpful perspective from God's perspective, what's really going on. The Lord tests the righteous, That's a a helpful idea. What we see as trauma, what we see as fear-inducing, is what we see as something that may make us want to give up from the perspective of heaven and a God who rules over all things is actually an opportunity, an opportunity for us to grow. Trials are opportunities. They're not just randomly sent into our lives. They're not principally so that God can punish us or hurt us because he's mad at us, but it's because God loves us And he's working through adversity to help us grow in our love for him. Now, that's not true for those who do not love God. The second half of verse 5, the the wicked and the one who loves violence, his, his soul hates. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Is that what the Bible says? It's not our job to hate. It's our job to love but a righteous and holy God hates those who are committed to the destruction of what is good and those who hate him, who have so turned away from him. And that's a very sobering verse. Verse six, upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup that nothing escapes God's notice. And even as David is writing this, God is promising, yes, I'm going to deal with Saul. You realize how much David believed that? 
that on two occasions David himself could have killed Saul, the man who was hunting him, and he refrained and he said, this is in God's hands. God will take care of this. And that's exactly what God did. And this is true in our own world. And in comparison to that, in verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. God is a righteous God, perfectly righteous, and he loves what is good. I put a cross-reference on the back of your outline from James 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You see what that says? Yahweh, the covenant God, is good, and he also is the author of all that is good in your life, and he will never change. That will never change about God, that he is a good God. Now, children, where do you think you're most likely to experience God and his presence? Where are you most likely to see him in all of his splendor? What do you think about that? It's a tough question, isn't it? Where do you think we go if we want to see more of God? What do you think? Go ahead. Caleb. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people would say, well, we go to the seacoast or we climb the mountain and we look at creation. But that's not what God's word says, the Bible says. God says you come into the place where God is worshiped and that's where you see God more clearly. That's a, that's a very good answer. I put in your outline, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? That's the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And that, those words would have been read to the people in Corinth as they were all gathered together in the church. And Paul was writing to them, you, and that's plural you, you all are the temple of God of God and the place where God's spirit dwells. So again, look at verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple. Where is God? He's everywhere, but he's especially present in the midst of his people when they are gathered to worship him. That's what the Bible says. This is the antidote for fear and worry and wanting to run away or to quit is to stop looking at the problems or the adversity or whatever it is and to focus your attention on the glorious God who rules over all things, who is enthroned in heaven and yet who comes near to his people, the one who will judge the wicked perfectly, the one who upholds his people. That's the message here. Turn away from your problems and focus your attention on the living God. Again, it's easier to say than to do it, but God says, look at who I am. That's what will help you. But fourthly, we're also encouraged here to remember that Jesus trusted the Lord perfectly 
so that you and I can also trust the Lord at all times. The psalm ends with a beautiful promise, the second half of verse 7. Now in the translation I read, which is the New King James, his countenance beholds the upright. Actually, in the original language, a better translation, and I put it in your outline, uh, for example, how the ESV does it, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. That's the idea. Those who are upright will see God face to face. Now, the Bible tells us no one can see God except the Son of God, that because of our sins, we're separated from God. We cannot see God as sinners, and yet the Bible also tells us that through Jesus Christ, the one upright man, the only person who's truly righteous, who's ever lived, through him, through him, we can see God's face. Jesus, who had God turn his face away from him when he was on the cross bearing the burden for our sins. Jesus is the one who allows us to see God face to face. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God the Father made him, that is Jesus, God the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, who was sinless, takes your sin, and Jesus, who was righteous, gives you his righteousness, which you have none of your own. And because of that, you can be forgiven. And you can respond to this psalm, because look how the psalm begins. In the Lord, I put my trust. Or as it is in our psalm book, which we'll sing in just a moment, my trust is in the Lord. The whole psalm is an encouragement from David not to run away. How can you tell me to run away? I worship the God of heaven. How can you tell me to live in fear and let fear dominate my life? My trust is in the Lord. And by implication, he's saying that's where your trust, that's where my trust should be also. David writes as one who did trust the Lord who didn't take matters into his own hands. He let the Lord accomplish his purposes. And recognize David speaks here to you as a type of Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who truly loved God and trusted him perfectly. So thank God that the message of the psalm isn't, hey, try harder. Try harder to focus on Jesus and on God. That's what you need to do. That's not the message. The message is Jesus perfectly trusted the Lord so that people like you and me who do not do that very well could be given forgiveness and grace and help so that little by little we could learn what it means to trust the Lord at all times, day by day. Jesus did it for you. And what does it look like then if you trust the Lord? Well, look at Psalm 62, verse 8. There's a lot we could say here, but I'm just going to mention one thing. And Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. 
one of the ways that my wife knows that I trust her is I will spill my guts to her, right? There's nothing I am unwilling to share with her. That's a sign of trust. If we don't have that in our relationship, we're just acquaintances. And and what Psalm 62 verse 8 is saying, one of the signs that you trust the Lord is that you are pouring out your heart to him. And, And this is sort of the burden of what I've been reading in this little book about anxiety by Ed Welch, which is we don't talk to God nearly enough. We just have to keep talking to God. And and the more we talk to God, we learn to listen back to what God says. And we need to be willing to say to the Lord that we're struggling, that this or that is making us afraid, that this or that is making us want to, to run away and, and hide. And, and we pour out our hearts to the Lord because we trust in him. And one of the more encouraging things that happened at our meeting was the meeting started with a sermon that told us whatever's going on, we need to agree that we need to seek the Lord together. And I, and I thought that was really helpful in, in putting our meeting off to a good start. So this is the challenge for you and for me. We live in a world where there are things going on all the time to make us fearful, even to the point of wanting to just run away and hide. And the Lord says, look to me, trust me. Jesus trusted God perfectly so that you and I can start to learn to trust him. And in your trust of him, uh, may he give you strength and grace uh, to avoid fear and anxiety. Let's pray and give him thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ trusted you completely and perfectly, even when he was in the garden anticipating his suffering and death and, and even more than that, Uh, enduring the burden of your righteous anger directed at sin, sin that wasn't his, it was ours, how he, he still committed his ways to you. He poured out his heart to you. He he said, Lord, if this, if this hour can be taken from me, take it from me, but nevertheless, your will be done and not my will. Lord, we thank you that our savior was faithful and he had perfect trust in you. And, and, and we pray that through faith in him, you would help us, uh, Lord, that you would forgive us when we doubt and when we allow the threats around us to become big and you to become small. And we pray that you would be at work in our lives to help us to trust it in you at all times, uh, to learn to pour out our hearts to you and to live in communion with you that you might be pleased to dwell in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
And now uh, let's sing this psalm in praise to the Lord. Psalm 11, selection A, my trust is in the Lord. Let us say these words as our own words with our Savior. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs> 